Welcome to Reciprocity Podcast, where we discuss the backstories and strategies of photojournalists, sports photographers, documentary filmmakers, and photo editors. Now, here's your host, Brett Carlson. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Reciprocity Podcast. It has been a long while between episodes, as always. But today, uh, I reached out over to Jeremy Williams at ESPN, and he's a cinematographer and producer, and he works on those really cool things that ESPN does, like the E60 and, and the deep storytelling of ESPN, you know? So it's not those quick hit Sunday morning on the sideline kind of videos. This is stuff that really gets the core of what sport's all about. Um, really excited for this interview, and without further ado, hey man, how's your uh, Friday morning starting out? Hey brother, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, you know, I'm I'm getting ready to head down to New Orleans for the Final Four, but yeah, it's uh, it's, it's been good so far. So I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, man. So uh, of course I say that you do these long form things, and you you don't go do the sideline stuff, and then you're like, oh, I'm flying to the Final Four. So how does that work? So you're going to the Final Four, um. And, and but probably in a capacity that other people are not going to the final four, I would imagine, right? No, no, obviously. Uh, well, no, uh, I you're, so you're all correct. I, I just primarily focus on long form storytelling, so I don't do the sideline stuff anymore. But I, you know, I was really uh grew up in the ACC, and so my ties to, to Duke University going all the way back to my grandfather watching it uh, is so I'm I'm, I'm a definitely a diehard fan. And so I love being able to just go to sporting events uh, and just enjoy myself. So I, I'm just going for fun. Oh, okay. So you're, you're Eric Church in it. Uh, definitely, yes. <laughs> just, yes. For, the, for those that don't know, uh, I'm a big country fan. And Eric Church just said, hey, I know I got a country or a concert this weekend, but I'm going to go watch uh, basketball this weekend instead because I've waited since I was 10 years old to see this. And a lot of us in town are very supportive of this decision and think it's the right one he made. But that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. You got there's moments that you just can't miss, you know. Yeah, if the Bills ever go to the Super Bowl, I if I'm not working it, I will pay the ten thousand dollars to be at that game. I've already committed that in my brain. Love it. Uh, so, uh, so getting back to the career side of things, so you said you don't used to do the sidelines. When let's talk a little bit about like how you started and how you got into this, because what you're doing now is high level, um, you know, just really great you know, interviews, cinematography, like you're doing the high end work. Did you always do that and know that's what you wanted to do? Or did you come in from it, uh, from, from that more traditional ESPN angle? Cause this is all no. kind of new to ESPN relative to their whole existence. Uh, I, I'll give you a short background. I mean, I grew up in, um, Spartanburg Forest city area and we definitely humble beginnings uh you know as a kid we just didn't have a lot um and so you know what we did have was you know the deep acc basketball roots um you know my my elementary school was the track community blue devils uh my grandfather you know we would watch games together stuff like that so you're just embedded in this in this sports culture and so you know when you, when you don't have a lot you, you just kind of gravitate to what you you do have and so you know, I grew up in this area and uh, I, you know, for the longest time, I just didn't know what what I wanted to do, or what I could be. Uh, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of options uh, growing up, uh, you know, in, in this way. And, you know, the growing up was not what was tough in a lot of situations uh, financially. And then my, my father was actually murdered when I was two. Uh, but that kind of 
background like made me uh, find a work ethic very early. I realized yeah. that if I did not want to be in a trailer park or you know certain projects that I needed to work and I didn't have some fancy education, I didn't have uh, you know you know mommy and daddy's money and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm saying I didn't have yeah. that so I had to figure out what that was. So so first without any avenues, uh, I had to figure out how to work. And so early on, I went to work. Uh, I was in high school and just I found out that it kind of clicked because I was like, oh, there's a lot of people that don't want to do a lot of the stuff, you know, the grind work. And I'm like, OK, I can do this stuff. And so I, I it, they kind of set me up for what TV would eventually become. As you know, it's really about, you know, not the degree that you have, but like what you're willing to do and what you're willing to sacrifice to get to the, the point that you want to be. I think a lot of people that enter that world are from the other background of having, you know, uh, you know, coming for money or, or maybe they have family in that world. And sometimes that grit is not there the same way that someone who could see the opportunity uh, like yourself, like the way you're describing it, at least based on me being around television and video production and all that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it, for, for me, it, you know, and it took a long time to get there. I won't say like there's a lot of trials and tribulations on my end, uh, just trying to figure out, you know, I was an angry kid for a while. And so I had to figure out myself, like just like a lot of kids do. But I just knew that working was the only thing that was going to get me out of certain situations. And so long story short, you know, I was I was just kind of. uh rambling, you know, I was just kind of like wondering in life, you know, and, and I'm probably saying uh, 17, 18, not really knowing where I was going. And so I was trying to get to Clemson um, to do something with sports. And I didn't really know what that was. And it, Clemson was just the closest place for me. And all my friends were going there. And But there was still not like a uh, definitive plan. I was working at a geotextile mill. There again, it goes back to the work ethic. Like I had to work because I left, I left home when I was about 17. Uh, and so I had to work. And so I was at a geotextile mill and I actually fell in a machine, uh, oddly enough. And I didn't walk for a year and thankfully I didn't lose my leg, but there was, there were talks that I would. So when I'm laying in the bed, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying that the, that the, the clouds, you know, and the, and the sky opened up and it gave me some grand vision, but I did lay there a lot contemplating what my next move was. And I'll be honest with you, as trivial as it sounds, the only thing it kept coming back for me was ACC basketball, Duke basketball, being in, 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 in the, the spot that I loved. Right. And so as soon as I, you know, I got a clean bill of health, I was like, okay, how do I get into this medium? Uh, and so I started researching schools and I started researching uh, and I found a little film school outside of Charlotte. Uh, and I knew that Jefferson pilot sports slash Raycom sports covered the ACC extensively. And so I called these guys and I was like, Hey, can you get me an internship there? And they're like, yeah, we can actually. And so that was it. Like I, it was just like the bells went off and I just knew what I had to do. So you were, you were going into the college asking them, Hey, I know that when I get done with you, I want to go to here to get to that. So is it possible if I go to your school, I'll be able to possibly get an internship at the XYZ at this Raycon sports. And they said, yes, yes. That's so awesome. So it's, you know, as, as much as I tell, tell kids and I, you know, the pieces that I do now, a lot of, most of the time it takes me to some, 
And I love doing stories uh, based on people overcoming. And a lot of my stories I've done, you know, the Mike Tysons. Uh, I've got one coming out on Steph Curry. And I love Steph. He's a great guy. But me doing pieces around famous people just doesn't interest me as much. And so we can kind of get into that a little, a little later. But so I love finding stories that kind of mirror my own background a little bit. If I'm being honest and just kind of giving, uh, you know, a platform to, to people to see uh, that there is a path a lot of times to a better way. And so for me, the biggest thing I said is, you know, you just got to make a decision and focus what and it's as simple as questions like, what do you love? Yeah. And I love music and I love ACC basketball. And I'm like, I, there's something going to be there. Right. Yeah. So long story short, I mean, I just, you know, I, I went to the school. Uh, they, they actually got me an interview. <laughs> they got me an interview literally about two months in. And I went there full suit. Uh, the guy there laughed at me. And he hired me the day that day as an intern. And he put, and he put me in this room. Uh, his name's Lance Stewart. He put me in this room. I had a full suit on. And he goes, you're going to log tapes. ESPN gets all. ESPN sends us all these melts of these games and we need to make one highlight reel that will go to the live trucks. Meaning, you know, you get all these games from Duke, right? And, and I would get the, I would take the best plays and put them on one, one SD, uh, one SD tape beta cam to give to the truck so they can roll in highlights and roll-ins during the live games. And I thought it was the best thing that uh, I, I just knew. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm here. Like, this is excellent. And I made, I, I, I made it. it. And there again, it was just an internship, but the, the thought process and the, I always tell a lot of people, it's not about talent. It's not about money. It's not about, it's about your approach. And my approach was they told me to come two days. Now I was driving from Spartanburg, South Carolina to Charlotte. Uh, two hour drive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, about well, it was about a, an hour forty-five, I think, something like that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, they told me to come two days, and I came five. And then, as I slowly started learning the process, I I would go to the the producers, and Raycom is my family. Like there, there will never ever be another job, no matter how many Emmys I win or whatever. There, there will be nothing that ever beats Raycom uh, because it was such a family atmosphere. And they literally let me grow into what I wanted to be. So I would tell them, I was like, hey, I know you have a game at, at Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, or whatever you want to say. I said, I know you have four cameras. Typically, you have five, six, or seven. Can I go and operate a camera at the game? And if you get replays out of it, cool. If you don't, don't use it. But and they, oddly enough, they said yes. So I, I literally would drive on my own dime to Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia, to run a second cam. I mean, a, like a seventh, six, seventh camera, just to learn and be in that process. And so those guys gravitated around me and they taught me all this stuff. So Raycom taught me the live side of things. And then during the summer months, they had this show called Football Saturdays in the South with Tim Brando. And it was features. And once I started on features, there again, much like me figuring out where I wanted to be just clicked because my own backstory of, of my father dying, uh, you know, humble beginnings, living family of five, living off $12,000 a year. Like uh, I, I started to realize that, Oh, like my past is not something to be ashamed of. It is 1000% my superpower. 
Yeah. I love that. I think that's the biggest thing that it takes a long time for people to kind of understand is that like, you know, uh, I meet people from all walks of life and I always tell them like, use the, use whatever cards you were dealt. You know, if you're a rich person from Long Island that has, you know, a million billion dollars, well, there's probably a story there that my country ass can never shoot and your ass can never shoot. And some kid from, you know, Flint, Michigan or something couldn't shoot, but you can and vice versa. You know, if you're from some poor Southern town or whatever, then like find a story there, find a skill set, find something to use to your advantage in this career. Cause that's what makes it so great is that everybody comes from such different backgrounds. Yeah. I, I mean, that's been my mantra for sure. Uh, and just getting to, you know, I always thought about getting to point B, but to be honest with you, I, I still don't even see point B in my radar because I've always lived by the thing. I'm humbly hungry. Yeah. You know what I mean? No matter where I'm at, what I've done, like, Oh no, no, that's in the past. Like, so I approach everything the same and I use my past, uh, not just motivation to give me some weird chip on my shoulder, but, but it gives me the empathy and compassion when I'm doing the kind of pieces that I pitch to ESPN and they allow me to do. It gives me a platform and a, and a way to say that, hey, I, I have my past, but what I do know is that I don't know and I'm here to listen. Yeah. So, so a lot of people go in on, you know, on documentaries or long features and long pieces, and they have like a sense of what, and I did it too. For the first, you know, it was a, lo- a lot of years where I was just learning the business. And like, I, I remember Sammy Watkins was at Clemson and he got in trouble. And I, like, I wanted to build, and I did, I built a mirror wall uh, that surrounded him with different shades of glass all the way around it. And I had him read this thing that I wrote, uh, but I was forcing it. You know what I mean? I was forcing the narrative. Now it looked cool, but I was definitely forcing the narrative. Um, And so, you know, you just kind of learn from that. And, you know, I spent many years uh, on the the football Saturdays in the South with uh, Tim and uh, just learning, really learning the craft. And, And between those real world experiences where I'm, we're all over the SEC and ACC, we were all over the place. Like, um, you know, doing stuff with, with Panasonic, you know, DVX 100s, yeah. you know, and learning. And then you're like, man, how is ESPN getting that fall off? Like not knowing that it's, a, I got I have a fixed lens camera. Yeah. You know, I had no one to teach me this stuff. And I'm like, so I would be the guy in the corner 30 feet back if I could just trying to create depth. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm lighting with like, uh, you know, the, Literally, we had lights catch on fire before. I so say, you probably had those old tungsten lights that were literally they would come with like metal gloves for you to carry them. Or that's one thousand percent what we had. Yeah. And if you get the diffusion too close to the lamp, it's so bloody hot, like it's gonna catch on fire. And so yeah. we've had many many lamps catch on fire. But just that world, you know, then then you know the the DSLRs come out, and then you know we get those, and then you're learning about what aperture means, and like you're learning stuff, and so Raycom just gave me that. And I'll be honest with you, this is another another crazy tale. I studied E60 for probably ten years before I even made contact or knew. Like I, the visual storytelling, uh, I was just enamored with uh, on how they did things. Yeah. And so I literally would study. That's, you know, it's oddly enough, funny enough that uh, 
you know, they did a piece on Arian Foster and they set him up and they had all this background stuff. Well, I started building sets like that. Uh, whether it's the mirror wall or I took Clinton Portis, uh, you know, back with all these, uh, the, the set that I'd built in Bank of America Stadium, you know, I would I would literally cop. No, I wouldn't say copy. I would I would find motivation from what they did, and I would go out there one man banding it or two men, you know, with three or four guys, and we would try to figure these things out. So I started the show for so long, and I knew that everyone's I figured it out uh, that everyone's name at ESPN is like Jeremy at ESPN Right. And, yeah. And yeah, you so, were MacGyver in the emails trying yeah. to, you figured out that the code. Yes. And so I, there was a piece, uh, it was called Josiah's way. Uh, and it was this all, it was this little, this piece about this, uh, this, this kid who had progeria. I think I'm saying that correctly, but nonetheless, he, he loved baseball and, and Tom Rinaldi did it. Tom Rinaldi's the best. I, I saw him last night. He's fantastic. Um, uh, but at the end I saw the producer's name, the director's name was Ben Hauser. And so I started cold emailing him, Ben, can you please just watch this? Can you critique me? Tell me what you hate. What am I missing to, to, to be on ESPN? Yeah. And, and, you know, another guy, a, a guy named Gentry Kirby, who was at, at ESPN Films. I did the same thing with him. And then Corey Kozak, who was in the features in ESPN. So I just started sending it, and I knew Corey was in – in Charlotte. So I would say, Hey, can you meet me at, for lunch? And it was there again, the same attitude that I have, the humbly hungry attitude. And by that time, like we were, we were doing great with regional Emmys. Like we were winning them every year. Yeah. Uh, and so in Asheville, matter of fact, so we were having a blast with that stuff, but I was still the same process. And so Ben, Ben and I became friends and he loved the hunger and the passion, but I wasn't where I needed to be as far as ESPN concerned. So I, st- I kept working. He would give me pointers. Gentry would give me pointers. I actually went on a shoot for the magic moment, uh, the 30 for 30. And then there again, I was just helping, learning the way. And then, you know, one day I saw uh, the ESPN was hiring for E60 and I emailed Ben. I said, Ben, should I apply for this? Uh, and at that point, like, we, I was doing pretty well for myself at that point because I had uh, we'd won a ton of awards. I started doing music videos as well. I directed my first music video that actually aired on MTV Headbangers Ball. Uh, and so I was doing music videos. I was doing music opens with Brooks and Dunn. Uh, I did two with Jason Aldean. So we would, go, we would go interview these guys. I would film the concerts, and we would do the sports opens. We would do the yeah. opens for the for the SEC or S- ACC, and so I was doing pretty well for myself. And but I was a I was a shooter, editor, producer, right? So it was a little bit of everything. Yeah. And I don't think that I until I got the ESPN, I was like we were telling good stories, but I I was still learning the art of storytelling. Yeah, because you were. I mean, at this point, like you said, with at work, you're kind of limited in your tool set, and and there's always a ceiling. I feel like you know, and it seems like you were so hungry, you probably hit that ceiling, and now you were probably one of the people answering questions, and then, and then now you're doing this other stuff on the side, and and you're kind of seeing the other side of the fence or the ESPN world and the thirty for thirty world and all that stuff. Um, to back it up a little bit though, you, you said at one point like you guys became friends, like you and Ben, but 
you knew that you weren't really ready to like be there yet. How, like, can you talk to that point a little bit? Because I think a lot of people kind of like to put the cart before the horse, you know, they're really good at the marketing, really good at the networking, but it's like, they don't have the work yet or it's the other way around where, you know, the work's great and people aren't very good at networking. But usually I find that people are like more worried about like, who do I talk to? Who do I show this stuff to? than they are making the work. So can you talk a little bit about that time and how you came to that conclusion? Man, you're going to make me sound like the old man on the porch because, <laughs> because today I struggle with some of the stuff today, especially with social media. I see so many people, and, and I'm not going to say mistakes because everyone has their own path, but a lot of people are more worried about random likes uh, than actual learning the business, learning how things are done. And if you get 2,000 likes, well, that's 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 just, just as good for them as winning a, a an Emmy from your peers, yeah. which, which I just, you know, winning awards is not, is not, um, I used to put a lot of weight on that, but it just really doesn't matter because it's so subjective, but nonetheless, learning from your peers, uh, is, is more important to me than likes on social media and things like that. And so there again, the, the, the humbly hungry attitude of like, okay, I know I'm not there yet, but I'm keep pushing. I mean, I, I'm the same way even today. Like once I finish a pro project, I'm just done with it. I'm over it. Like, I, I yeah. like I, I, I'm like, this wasn't good enough. I didn't, you know, I don't like, I'm always striving to do things voiceless, but you know, that's a different topic, but uh, we, you know, there's too much writing. There's too, you know, I didn't do this, you know, do this enough. So I, that process is still always there. And I wanted them to know, to understand that, okay, I know I'm not there yet, uh, but I will get there. Yeah. Uh, and so it, I think that was the mindset and the process as I'm going through this stuff and trying to figure, figure things out. I, I love that you still talk about setting goals and everything, you know, like aiming for voiceless and what you, what you mean by that, for those who don't know, is like, you know, without a narrative voice inside the project, correct? Like you want just the subject to be talking or just, right? Just to be Yeah, like and, and we do this, but, you know, anytime you, you work for a, a big network and things like that, you know, they have, they have their own style. And so what, you know, backing up a little bit. So when, when ESPN, uh, when Ben called me, I, like it was like a, while well, I was, very hard leaving my family and what I was comfortable with. I knew I'd outgrown it. And I, and uh, I, I took a short trip to the UFC. Uh, now I'm backtracking, but I took a, a short trip to the UFC, but this is important. I was, I was chasing the wrong things. Uh, I went to the UFC because it was a lot more money. Yeah. Uh, it was in Las Vegas. I love the sport but I didn't ask the questions on what the day-to-day -day was. And all I cared about was, oh, I'm going to live on Las, Las Vegas Boulevard. I'm going to work at the UFC, the title, the money. I'm going to drive a Mercedes. You know, coming from $12,000 a year for a family of five and being able to buy a Mercedes, you know, yeah. you know, it's a big jump. But that, oh, I'm going to win Emmys and blah, blah, blah. My, I let my ego, uh, I let my ego take control a little bit. Yeah. And, and I'll be honest with you, when I went there, uh, they want, only wanted me to be an editor. And they weren't even set up for long form at that point because they were, you know, they were still trying to bring things in house. And so I end up doing like German promos where I'm rotoscoping and I'm flying in titles and stuff like that. And that's just not who I am. I'm a field guy, like yeah. being, telling people stories and things like that. And I, 
it was the worst time of my life uh, because I let that I let my ego take control, and it, like it taught me a lot. Yeah, hard lesson to learn, but lets you know you're in the right spot, you know now, or or that you know what I mean. It, it uh, lets you. I don't know. I'm 35, and I, I there's definitely times in my life where I definitely made the wrong decision, and I don't regret those decisions because I look back and I say, well, that let me know that that was not the right place for me. You know, I moved to Jersey City for about seven weeks <laughs> outside of New York City, and I was like, uh, I part of me wishes I made it sick and I stayed in New York City longer, and the other part of me says it's really glad that you went and you hated it and just knew you hated it and figured out that that was not going to be a solution for you. Um, but that's but that but that's the point though, right? Like so so many people are scared of the unknown. And I like for me, going to UFC was not a regretful thing, just like my past was not a, a, a regretful thing. It's like it if you're open to the idea that that I live by this mantra every day, the difference between a boy and a man is someone that can look themselves in a the mirror and reevaluate themselves daily. So if you think about what I'm saying is like no matter where you're at in your life, if you can look and say, okay, I took this job, I had the guts to do it, but this is not what I want to be. And having the guts to to change your mind and go backwards and kind of retract things, those things are important. Letting your yeah. ego know, blah, blah, blah. Like you, you just got to know yourself and, and, and the opportunities that are in front of you. And so for me, and I also don't wait on opportunities. Sometimes you you just got to create things just like the, the E60 stuff. Like, you know, if I didn't reach out, it, I, you know, I would still be in probably, you know, where, where I was at, but nonetheless, like people have to take risk. You, you got to put yourself out there and TV for sure. Cause there's so many people, there's so many of us, we're all replaceable. All of us. If I don't keep this same hunger and drive, guess what? The, 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 the 19 year old who, who had more resources, and probably it could be more talented than I am or whatever that is, he can pass me. So I have to stay sharp and and always be, you know, looking myself in the mirror and going, okay, what can I do to be better? Yeah. I feel that same way. That's what like, I, yeah, I definitely like some, some jobs I'll take and I, or I'll do or I'll overwork or whatever. And I'm just like, why am I doing this? And it's like, because there's some 20 year old, 19 year old, 25 year old that's, happy would be happy to do that for half the pay and work twice as hard because you i was that 25 year old or 26 year old when i graduated college um and i agree completely with what you're saying i love what you talked about though with like you know you didn't just expect to like put in the hours and then get the next spot you were actively saying and this is something i do too is like it seems like you were saying like i want to be there or i want to make what they're making maybe it's not at espn but you saw what they were making you're like i want to make that how do I make that now with the resources I have? Um, which is something I always think about. Like I, several years ago, was only working for newspapers and I wanted to get to magazines and then hopefully to advertising, uh, which I've now done. And, um, but I remember at the time, like I went and asked other people that were working for magazines, like, well, what do I got to do? Like, yeah, I, I know how to do lighting. I know how to do that. Like, yeah, but it is, is it in your portfolio? Like, do you have this in your portfolio? Like they're going to look at this and they're going to look for that. Um, and, but it was like learning that it was going to take time to get there, but I got to do steps now to do it. Um, what are you working on now? Or what's your thing now that you're like, okay, I want to be doing this. So uh, like, you must be doing something like that now, I bet. So Ben calls, I'll get back on track. Sorry for rambling, but I just want to make sure that there's, oh, yeah, certain, yeah. there's certain moments in, 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 in your life, 
th that teach you something. And so on these things, I always like to, you know, bring these things up because it's not all glamorous, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's pitfalls. Uh, there's a lot of hard days where you're looking, you're going, am I, am I, can I do it? Am I here? Like, you know, you're constantly having that bat internal battle with yourself, whatever. So I, I want to make sure I touch on that because for the kids out there that are listening or, or and they're like, I don't have anything but a but a, a Canon Rebel, you know, doesn't matter. Like the approach is is what's important and it's okay to fall. That's yeah. the, that's the biggest thing. So long story short, so I get back, uh, I get the job at ESPN. And I come and there again, I think this, you know, this is my dream job, right? This is what I've been working for my entire life. Now I'm working with Jeremy Schapp. I'm working with Tom Rinaldi. Like I'm seeing things. Um, and ESPN is a big machine, a very big machine. And I had to, I had to change as, as many awards that I had won. I had to come in with a different attitude as well. That's well, not the, a different attitude, but the same attitude just uh, of, continue to push and ESPN is a big machine. So they want, they wanted you, me to be, cause most producers, directors at ESPN, they don't shoot or edit. Yeah. Right. And so they go out with high end crews. They go to high end post houses. Uh, and they're really great storytellers, right? They know the story front to back. I was still working on, cause I was doing everything by myself. I, I you know, I'm, I'm working 80 hours a week shooting and editing you know, 20 minute pieces at 4am, you know, I had to learn to take what I knew and what I was good at to, to their process and what they do. And I wanted it to work. I wanted it to be overnight. I wanted to come in and hit a grand slam overnight. And I had to stop myself and say, Jeremy, you, this is a different level. Um, you, you gotta, you gotta see what you gotta take, what they want you to be. And then you got to show them what that you can do more than that. And then you, then you marry the two to create your own style. So that's what I've done uh, because there again, no one, no one, you know, shoots, no one edits really. And I don't edit a ton because um, editing inside an edit bay with someone else is a collaboration. And I found it's actually better. Like oh, you yeah. come in, you come in with a script, you write a script first, you come in, you set with someone and then it's a collaboration. And then the product is not only faster, but it's better. Yeah. Um, so I learned that it was a, it, that was a hard struggle though, because I've been editing myself forever. And I'm in my brain, I'm like, why would I sit beside, behind, beside, uh, excuse me, behind someone and tell them what buttons to push. But it's not like that. It's two guys together doing, doing a, an hour. Right. So I had to marry the two, what I know. So what I've done now is I bought my own red. Um, uh, I'm definitely a red guy. Um, just because of the flexibility that it gives me, uh, the camera doesn't matter, but it, but for my style, my personality, it 1000 for, you know, fits what, who I am. So what I've done now, like I told you before, I, I did the Mike Tyson, the Mike Tyson was the first piece I did. Uh, he was great. Um, we explored a different side of Mike, uh, that a lot of people hadn't heard as far as him being sexually abused as a kid, things oh, like yeah. that, things like yeah. that. So I'm like, okay, and then I just slowly started building. And there was a there was a piece um, that I read about. Uh, it was down on the border of of, uh, of Mexico and, and southern Texas called Southmost. And I'd read through a Sports Illustrated article um, that the writers were just writing about it, but they they weren't allowed on campus. And I'm like, hmm. So I pitched it to ESPN 
And this is a good thing about it. This is when I started learning, okay, Jeremy, this is your niche. Because I went to ESPN and said, hey, guys, uh, let me go down there by myself. Uh, most most of the guys go with a with a crew, and it's you know between four and eight thousand dollars a day, right? Oh yeah. So so think about that. If you're if you're trying to do documentaries and you and this is this is what crews cost, you're going to be limited a little bit on the access you can get, and, and you're limited by by money. And I hate that. I hate because I, I hate it. So I'm like, okay, I'm buying a red. I know that I can get in these these situations and these uh, you know these sensitive topics uh, and get really get ingrained myself and then when it's time to bring in larger crews we can do that so yeah. so I go down there I I just ask both schools hey can I can I tell them my story and then I just want to speak to the team and they're like okay we, we'll do that yeah. So I go in, I go, hey, guys, I'm not here to exploit you. This is my backstory. I think, I, you know, I find what you, and this is, this is the time when, when everyone's all, you know, talking about the wall and all this other stuff. I wanted to take politics out of it, and I wanted to show on a human level at the, at, at the very bottom of what life was like on the border. Yeah. And so I found, you know, I set my camera down, and I was expecting two or three kids to show up. Both Damn, the whole damn football team showed up on both sides, and they literally went through and told me the 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 craziest stories. And when I got back to the hotel room, I just hit my knees. It was just I was so exhausted, mentally exhausted, and it was just like I understood. And I I was like, okay, I got it. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is this is my niche. This is because I of my approach. The approach, yeah. my approach. And so I, we end up picking two kids per school. And then I followed them for almost two years. Wow. Of one's family was, you know, one's mom was in the cartel. So I had to be there. He had two younger siblings. And so I had to be there and showing this 17-year-old kid getting up at 6 a.m., getting his little five-year-old sister uh, ready for school. And she's drawing pictures of her mom and dad in jail. And so I had to be there. I, I couldn't, you know, those days I, I just knew that, that the only way that this story was going to be told properly if I was there a lot. And thankfully ESPN let me do it. So we had, yeah. we had that. And then we had one's family was murdered by the cartel. And then one's family lived in the cartel neighborhood. And, and I went to my boss and says, hey, I have to go to Mexico. I have to, I can't, I'm a white guy. Uh, I have my own story, but culturally I can't tell this from the sideline. Like I need to go experience what he experiences. Otherwise this is not, you know, we can't tell the story. Yeah. And they're like, okay, if that's what you want to do. So we traveled to this, you know, we traveled to Mexico in this, this cartel neighborhood Dang. and we got, and, and we were there for about two hours. And then, you know, my security came and they said, Hey, they know you're here you need to leave now. And so we had to get out. You know, all this to say is like, these are the type of stories that I do um, or, and love to do. Uh, and then, you know, ESPN let me do an hour on this, on how, you know, immigration affected. I had a kid swim across the river six times because his family was starving. And again, I tried to keep politics out and only focus on human, the human plight, like what kids were trying to overcome. And uh, yeah. so you know, th that kind of set me up for ESPN. Like, okay, this is, we see where you're going with some of this. 
And so now today, um, you know, I'm doing a piece. Uh, well, I'll get back. Uh, I just finished up a piece uh, called A Murder in Memphis, um, where uh, Lorenzen Wright, you're, you're close. Lorenzen Wright was murdered uh, 10 years ago. Um, and for He's a NBA player, right? NBA player, yep. And it, yep. Went, it was a cold case for, you know, seven, eight years until um, this, the, uh, the state marshals arrested his wife for for setting up the murder well they had two twin sons named lamar and shamar Wright, and they they started their first year of college there again as opposed to like waiting on let me contact the sid and all this other stuff i hopped on instagram i'm like hey guys jeremy from espn here can i just talk to you guys and they're like yeah yeah we can talk and so I, I, I chatted with them or whatever. And I was like, Hey guys, you know, my dad was murdered. Like, you know, it was, it's therapeutic for me to talk about, like, would you guys be interested in talking about it? And they're like, yeah, we would, we, we'd like to hear our story. So there again, spent a year with these guys. Dang. And they yeah. just, and they had just recently, someone went to jail for that just recently. They, they did. Well, a bunch of people tried to do the story and they did do the story, which was 2020 and, a couple other places, but no one got the family, and no. One, and then I end up getting the the their mother in jail, but it was only because I built the relationship, and I and I always stay true to my word that I was like, okay, I only want to tell the story from your perspective on what you went through, and then you know, kind of like what everyone else knows. But you know, I stay true to the story, so I end up getting the mother in prison as well. No one else got this, and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just, I always go back to the approach. What is your approach? I I agree. I, I did a lot of work in Flint, Michigan and did stuff with drug dealers and things like that. And I had, I, I mean, I'm a straight edge kid from the country. And so I didn't have much to relate to them on, on that front, but like it was always being honest and upfront and then continuing to represent that honesty and just be, be a true version of yourself that you're presenting. And it felt like everybody was, they, they understood where I was. And sometimes that was telling them things they didn't want to hear. Like sometimes that was saying like, Hey, you know, if you do something illegal and I'm there, like if it's one of these things, state law does not protect me and does not protect you. Like I can't do anything about it. So whatever. Um, but I think they all like respected that, you know, you didn't oversell it, didn't undersell it. Um, do you find that either at your old company or the new one or anything, you think that sometimes, I mean, it happens naturally, but the story you think you're telling then shifts into something different. And then you got to go back and tell the subject like, Hey, the narrative's changed or Hey, the people above me want the narrative to change or stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I think that happens sometimes. It hasn't really happened with me uh, on my pieces. Um, well, the Mike Tyson one, for instance, um, Mike Tyson and Jeremy Schapp had a relationship like they, like his dad had covered Mike. He had, you know, Jeremy had covered Mike and I wanted to focus on, on Mike's plight. And they came back to me and said, Hey, we love what you did, but for the open, as opposed to this, the cinematic, you know, the cinematic scenes that where he trained with Custy Amata, you know, because I'd shot some really cool stuff and I really love the open. They were like, we think it's more impactful if we talk about how many times Jeremy's been there and like their relationship and what the conversation they're about to have. So it made me change, change a little bit on that. But as far as the bigger pieces, generally 
I mean, homework, homework, homework. You, you know, you, it's so funny. I always hated doing book, book reports. Uh, and I swore oh, I would never do them, but my life is a big book report now. So you have to study and Like I, I pride myself on finding the things that no one won't, you know, that doesn't find or takes the time to find. And so when I go into an interview or if I'm prepping Jeremy or Lisa, I make sure to include all this stuff. And so typically I've done so much, like I generally have a good idea of what the story is. Now things can happen and you have to pivot. Uh, of course. But most of the time, uh, it's just like right now. Right now I'm working on three projects. One is a, a Native American piece. It is the the poorest uh, Indian reservation in the country at $4,000 a year income. Um, it's in uh, it's called Pine Ridge, South Dakota. For all, yeah. you, for all you history buffs, it's where Wounded Knee happened. Uh, they were the last tribe to fight against the U.S. government. The government came in and they killed you know women and children. And, uh, and it was a slaughter fest. And, and basically, you know, you want to talk about redlining and things like that. They're, they're just in a, a piece of land that's basically worthless. And they consider it a concentration camp even to this day because they're there. There's just no resources. So it perpetuates uh, human trafficking, teen suicide, drugs, alcohol. And so it's a really tough place to live because there's just not a lot of opportunities. And listen, I don't like excuses. I'm not an excuse guy, but you got to realize that that your background is different from their background. And like, you can't just blanket say hard work beats everything, right? There's some, there's some situations where it's just bad. So this is a story of one family's uh, fight against those things through a sport called Indian relay. And it's a, it's a sport that's only practiced with other tribes um, and it's meant to replicate battle. So it's one rider, three horses, and they go around saddleless with full native regalia, and they go around these huge tracks, and they and they jump from horse to horse, and so it's chaos. Um, but it's me- it's meant to replicate battle, and them relaying messages when they were fighting against other tribes or the U.S. government. Dang. So I will spend you know the next year or so you know working on that and then in may i'm going to qatar uh where the world cup's being held um but i'm going there because of the migrant worker situation um they've they did qatar is a very wealthy country and they didn't have really a working class so they bring in these migrant workers yeah but it but it ultimately com- almost comes like a you know they're almost like in slave camps if i'm being honest you know yeah thousands of people have died from exhaustion and hunger and they promised them certain wages that you're just not meeting. So I have to go there and show, you know, and, and the, the country of Qatar has done a better job, but since, you know, the last six years, a lot of people have died. So we have to show that. Um, and so that'll be interesting. And then the, the last one is, is um, the, the Afghanistan women's basketball team. Um, obviously they were, they fled Afghanistan and now they're all in uh, Albania. But, yeah. they're, but they're in a they're kind of in like purgatory because they don't they can't go anywhere and they can't do there's nothing permanent so we're we'll, we will go over there with them and like we'll go over there and we'll, we'll start talking to their and hear their stories and we'll start figuring out exactly how we will tell the story and then when they travel to a country that provides them complete political asylum we will be there for that and then ultimately will the team ever play again will they just disband so that'll be a long 
project as well. So you see, I'm just not, what I've done is my, my niche is like, you know, I, I go and film in these sensitive moments and then I bring in my crews yeah. uh, for these stories like this. So it's interesting to hear a number one, for those not paying attention, you're balancing multiple things at once, which is kind of how this career works, whether you're working at a newspaper or, you know, as a photographer or you're working at the big network, or if you're just a freelancer working on a lot of stuff, like, you know, I'm balancing three or four pretty big projects right now. And that's kind of always the way it is. Um, so that's always interesting to hear, but it's really cool to hear you talk about how like you have a, a great idea of the story in a lot of situations, but it's like, you're doing so much research and you still talk about it. Like, well, we still got to figure out what the story really is. You know, it's like, it's so you're like kind of, would you say you're like best preparing yourself or like setting yourself up for success, but not like going in with a closed mind of like, this is what's going on. It sounds like. 1000%. And I think bad producers, when they have an idea, just like I did with Sammy Watkins, building this mirror wall, this huge metaphor that, in a sense, didn't matter to him. Like, if if you have the mindset of like, I know what this story is, that means you're going in. You know, the you know, I told you the mantra earlier is I go in with, you know, I do know that I don't know. That's what I know. Um, and so there's no way there again as a as a as a white guy, like the natives, they don't trust people and they shouldn't, right? And, because even to this day, I'll give you an example. The government, they still have trouble with the government because state government has nothing to do with the actual tribe, right? They can't, they have no jurisdiction. And so if someone calls uh, Rapid City Police Department and says there's been a murder, there's human, you know, there's, there's trafficking, there's nothing they can do about it. They can't come on that land. And so it's, it's only federal, federally funded. So think about it. So it's only from the federal aspect. So if someone goes missing, now you're on a federal list, not a state list. So when when the funding comes, they can only afford two police officers per 70 square miles. So think about that. If you call the police, you might see them in two hours, an hour and a half, and because it's federally funded. So the distrust of government uh, is very high. So the only way I could make them trust me is like I had to go there myself and i went by myself uh, i didn't go with the crew i went with my camera i didn't i didn't even shoot a lot yeah i was i was just there to just kind of learn and be a fly on the wall and just learn and then you know as we're telling you know i met the main family and then all the writers are we're talking about kids we're talking you know six years old to you know 25 these kids are in a bad way and they're trying to figure things out if i say hey i'm i know i'm going to do a story on x y and z before i meet them and then I go back home with them. That's not, it's not a real story then. I'm yeah. just, I'm making the narrative. Yeah. So, you know, there's a, there's a 17 year old girl, uh, and she's, you know, I have to go back home with her. I have to sit her on her, on, on her bed. I have to see where she lives. I have to see where her goals and dreams are. I have to talk to them and find out what their, you know, what their plight was, what are their heartaches, what are their tragedies? The only way you can do that is you got to go, you got to go and you got to ask questions and you got to listen, listen, yeah. listen, listen. You can't go there with narratives. Yeah. I think that's so awesome to hear. I think it's like, that's like the core of what I went to school for and like what I do, you know, is like listening more than you're talking or telling stories. Even in advertising projects, I do a lot of like branded content and like documentary style stuff. And it's like, 
a lot of times the agency comes in and they, even on those jobs, they'll have like a, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what we're going to do. Here's the script. And you go in and they see someone and most people probably do those work. They love that. And they, okay, great. Here we go. Done. And me, I go in and I'm asking questions like a journalist and letting them talk. And then they get to the end of the interview and they're like, wow, you got, they've, they've said this to me after shoots. Like you got so much more out of them than we had planned on getting because you listened, you know, or you just let them tell their own story. You, you know what the best way, and it's so funny at ESPN when you, when you, and I didn't know any of this, like, um, there's this guy named, uh, uh, John Sawatsky and he had this, uh, it was like a, like a training on how to interview and it, yeah. he, he'd been there forever. And I'm like, I know how to interview. I've been doing this, blah, blah, blah. Like they're getting, they'll let me go tell me something that wasn't true. And then I got in there and I was like, wow, like, and Tom Rinaldi, Tom is the best at this. A lot of talent, and E60 is a producer driven show. Like it's not, you know, people, you know, Jeremy Schapp is, uh, is very involved as well, but like Jeremy's doing a lot of different things or whatever. And so Tom, Tom's now at Fox, but um, those guys are really good at asking questions and getting out of the way. Tom's the best at it. Tom, yeah. Tom the best questions that Tom asks is like, how did that make you feel? You know, like, why? He doesn't need to hear his voice. He, he doesn't need to hear himself talk. All he's trying to do is get, ask open-ended questions and let, let the subject talk. And I thought, I was like, man, this is great. This is awesome. And then, you know, Tom has little tricks. Like he would say, okay, we're going to start the interview. We're going to warm things up. I'm going I'm to say a word. Just give me the first thing that comes to your mind. And he would say, brother. And one of the twins, would, you know, or someone would be like, my brother, he's everything to me. Like, I would not be where I'm at without my brother and things like that. So you're getting people used to the idea of talking. And then when, when you do that little exercise, now you're going, now oh, let's just start at the top. How was it growing up in X, Y, Z? Oh, okay. And then, so you're building an interview and you're building the moments, yeah. right? Right. A lot, yeah. of pe- a lot of people go in and say, hey, who killed your, who killed your father? And you're, they're like, whoa. So, you know, you build a relationship, you stay true to your word, and you ask it. And Tom told me, Tom, he said it best. It's not a conversation. It's an interview. You have to know it's an interview. Because if you don't, things will get out of control. I was like, you have to know it's an interview, but you have to disguise it as a conversation. I love that. Man, that's good. And that's a hundred percent true because when I sit down, I know so, and I, and I, you know, I have my own notes. I always provide a key at the top of, of these are the five subjects that I have to hit. And so I'm not looking up and down, up and down, up and down. I'm able to, 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 to start from here and go to there. And if things go off track, I can definitely get them back because I know where I need to be. And, but, you know, you're still asking open-ended questions and let letting them talk, but yeah. you're still in your mind, you know, where you, the subjects that you have to hit. Yeah. I love that. I love that. It's like, it's, it's always, you know, this helps you get in their words. I mean, you know, it's like when you ask those closed questions or you're not, you know, letting people think through topics on their own. And, and sometimes you, you know, there's tricks, areas, tricks. I love those ones though, man. I love the idea of word association or something to get people started. Cause that is the hardest part of the interview. The hardest part is like, open it up, checking sound and then, okay. You know, 
so let's start, you know, with this question I have on this sheet. And then I think people make it very uncomfortable. But I love the idea of like word association and stuff that isn't just so cut and dry. It's just like kind of taking the guard down, but also like giving them what they didn't expect. I feel like a lot of people kind of know what they're they kind of know what you think they're going to ask them. I love the idea of that. It's human nature to want to communicate. And a lot of communication comes from your own past experiences or like who you are as a person. So, you know, if you're, if you're doing that and you're making people feel comfortable and, and they feel like this is an honest conversation, whether you have to ask hard questions or not, because I let them know, it's like, guys, we're going to, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Like you don't have to answer them. Like you could, you know, I'm not giving you an out, but like, I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Um, It's my job. Uh, you know, I, I remember setting, setting down with the, the, the mother who worked, who, uh, she was in the, she worked for the cartel and I was asking her, I, I said, and she kept saying the bosses, the bosses, the bosses. I was like, I was like, I'm sorry. Like I, I have to ask cause you keep referencing like who are the bosses? And she looked up at the boom mic and she looked back at me and she goes, you know who they are. I go, I don't know who they are. I was like, can you, who are they? I was like, you know, I was like, the cartel. She looked back up and she goes, you can call them what you want, but you know who they are. So that was a great, you know, you have to hold people accountable and you have to ask hard questions. Um, But she answered the question regardless. And if you're scared to ask questions, people aren't, people aren't going to answer them. Yeah. So, yeah, man, this was a good one. This this has been great, dude. Uh, trying to think of other questions to ask, but I think we covered a lot of stuff. I love the idea of what you're working on now and all the idea, the way that you're just juggling these three big projects. Um, and I was going to ask you about the timeline and like how long you're spending with things, but you kind of answered all that too with like that year to two years. That's just, that's crazy. It's cool to hear that kind of storytelling still happens. And it's just like, it's, it's really neat. And I think it's so cool how you're telling these stories that are, they're sports, but they're like more than sport. You know, everything you talked about today was like, it's that's, I think the best part about what you guys do at E60 and, and then, you know, NFL or ESPN films and all those things. It's just like so much cool stories that happen that are like sports kind of thing that pushes it down the tracks, you know? I, 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 I think this is a good point here too, though. Like as a producer director, you have to, you have to be knowledgeable about, um, Every, well, at least I do like everything, meaning, meaning, and what I mean by that is I'm a very visual person. Like I would say visuals probably drove me for the longest time. Then I had to figure out, okay, this doesn't matter. I can shoot, I can shoot, uh, you know, 120 frames and things, you know, could be beautiful, but it doesn't feel real. And a lot of times you, you can watch things on Netflix and like, they're so overdone documentaries. It doesn't feel real. Like, so I think for people that are, you know, trying to do documentaries or in this world, knowing, knowing when to use your tools, because uh, I, there again, I am super cinematic, but I do realize that nothing, nothing is more important than the story and emotion. So Ben told me one thing, one time he goes, I'll give you an example. He said, I'm going to write on the board and he was working on, uh, he was working on the Buster Douglas, uh, the 30 for 30, uh, 42 okay. to one. And he, and I walked in and it was a huge whiteboard and it was all these scenes that they had shot. And there was this 
you know, the title at the top and it was circled over and over and over again. And basically what he said, he goes, you see that? He goes, this, in, in two sentences, this is what my piece is supposed to be about. He goes, so if you look at all these scenes, it doesn't matter if it's shot on Airy Master Primes or on my cell phone, or if it doesn't tell the story of those two sentences, then it has to go. I go, really? He goes, I don't care how pretty it is. He goes, it has to go. And I'm like, that was so profound to me because I'm like, oh, I get that. I understand that because like visuals can fall flat. And then, you know, like people at home, a lot of times we do stuff for us. And I had to learn oh, that yeah. as well. We, we, we go, oh, this would be cool if like, I'll give you an example. So Steph Curry, his best friend, uh, one of his best friends is named Omar Carter. Omar Carter had the same goals and dreams that Steph did. They played together. Um at the same high school, they went to both smaller schools. Uh, and at one time, you know, some would argue that he, he might have been even better at Steph at some point. The, the guy has a heart attack uh, in a summer league game, and then he can't play. He can't play anymore. Well, I took him back. He's very emotional about it. He's a super awesome person. But his goals and dreams ended that day, and he he had to pivot. And then Steph Curry goes on to become Steph Curry, the greatest shooter in NBA history. So this guy. I take him back to where it happened because he hadn't been there before uh, since it happened. And he was very emotional when we were there. And typically, I'll be honest with you, we don't set things up like this. But in this in this situation, we did. Typically, you want to let things happen naturally. But let's don't get it twisted. People are always producing. So I, the point of it is I, I we brought him in. The first time, and people were the crew were still were still getting adjusted to the lighting. We're trying to figure things out, and I had my guy. Uh, he was shooting on the Amira, and it was kind of bouncy. He was just over the shoulder, but we were getting the Movi Pro ready. Right, mm -hmm. I wanted the cinematic shot. We're going to go in, and we did. And so now, now I'm in edit, and I'm editing, and I need that transition of you know. Now his goals and you know dreams it was shattered in a matter of moments, and I needed that moment where the door opens, comes in, and you see the emotion on his face. Guess what? Didn't have that. The movie cam. The movie pro. Yeah. And most people, I don't say most people, a lot of people make the mistake of like, well, this this camera over here is bouncy, and it, it's not perfect. And I had to learn this, man. When I got, first got to ESPN, I I was laughing at myself two weeks ago when I did this. Cause I would have never done it. Yeah. I, I'm like, this, this, it, this is not real. So I took it out and I put that, the, 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 the initial shot in, I'm like, okay, now it feels real. Yeah. So my point to all this is like knowing that the tools are just tools, but nothing matters more than the story. I love it. Dude, my professor in college would be like shaking your hand right now. He's probably going to make every student listen to this episode because that was like all we learned in school. It was always, you know, it's story over everything. And it was, you know, it didn't matter what you were working on. It was photos, video, whatever. It was definitely story, story, story. So I love to hear it. This is a good reminder for me, too, because I got to shoot next week and I've been I've been overthinking the way it's going to look and not thinking about the story as much. And I'm probably, you know guilty of that <laughs> but there's nothing bit. there's nothing wrong with visuals especially today and i think netflix has did, done a you know hbo and netflix both but netflix is really taking it to another level if you're really watching what they what they're doing um you know there's nothing wrong with 
your your visual plan. And, and sometimes it's as simple as the settings, right? So when I'm when I'm on, you know, my thought process when I go to South Dakota to the native uh, to the to the uh, the reservation, I want things to be natural. I don't want seven people in a room. I don't want to be hanging lights from a grid. Like I don't. I want the seventeen-year-old on the bed, cross-legged. I want you know. I want book lighting if we can get it. Use use what we have. I want it to feel natural, and I want her to be you know on the bed telling her story and things like that, or 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 a guy out in front of a trailer, you know, on the steps. Like, and I want it shot out two four zero, and I want. I want the, you know, because a lot of people, they get enamored, and I was the same way. They get enamored with, okay, we're going to shoot wide open, and everything's going to be blurry in the background. We're going to put a chair in the middle of the room, and we're going to hide things. Well, if you look at the trends today, and there again, Netflix has done a great job of this, we're going to make the scenes and the and the proximity and the towns, and we're going to make them characters. Yeah. So now you're using things that are real that that – that even that gives you more validity and you know realness to the situation as opposed to like hiding things. So back to your point, it, like if you're thinking about these things, the visuals do matter in your storytelling as long as you don't let the visuals become the storytelling. Yeah, yeah. I think I I literally just had a call like before this we started this interview with a client and and we were talking about that kind of that kind of world you know and the fact that it's like we have a timeline to work in we have all these things but they want it to look real you know they want it to look real they want to see the space they want to see the textures they want to see those things um and so it's it's exactly what you're talking about you know how those add to and not take away from what the main people are going to be saying or what they're doing and how that inflect influences the story rather than takes away from the story to see some of those things going on 100%. Man, so I got three questions I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, And they're kind of fun and they're open-ended. And and the idea is just to kind of a way to wrap it up. Um, So the first one, and I always say this too, it's been a while since I've done them, so I'm sorry if I get them wrong, listeners. But uh, this first one is, what is something that you know now that you wish you learned a lot earlier in your career? Mm, It's a good question. That there's not a there's not a point B. You, you know what I mean. You, you you strive so much to get to get to point B, but if you ever find point B, then your career's over. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's something I've kind of read between the lines throughout my career. I remember uh, Ed Kashi was giving a talk at a conference, photo conference, and. I mean, he was talking about trying to get work and paying his bills and spending enough time with his wife and like all the things that in college I was trying to figure out. I'm like, well, how am I going to see my girlfriend? How am I going to eat? How am I going to, how do I get the next client to like look at my book? And he was talking about the exact same things. And he was one of the most famous photographers that I had seen talk. And I was like, oh, this is just how it is. Like you're always going to be grinding and always going to be trying to chase the next thing. Because think about it, if you're an artist, and I always, you know, we, we won't we won't dive into the Kanye West uh, situation, um, but I do love Kanye's. I just picture Kanye, and whether he does or not, this is just my my fantasy, I guess. I always picture him in a basement with three thousand records, uh, no matter how many Grammys he's won, looking for the perfect sample. And so, if you're an artist, 
right? You're never going to be satisfied. Think about how many starving artists are out there and things like that, or a tattoo artist or a, or a musician. There's not a perfect song. There's not, there's not, you know, there's, you'll never be happy. You just got to enjoy. I mean, I, I say this, you'll never be completely satisfied. If you're an artist, you can only, uh, appreciate the moments that you're in and continuing to try to, to enjoy the journey. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I, I love that art's subjective. And I think uh, if anybody forgets that, then I think they're probably not really made for this world. <laughs> like yep. all my friends are really pushing hard. We're never happy. We're always trying. And it's like, we understand that we're better than we were, but it's always like, what's next? What's next? What's next? If you think, living, um, if you think buying a Mercedes and living uh, in La- on Las Vegas Boulevard is going to make you happy, it's not. Won't. <laughs> you, you learned that lesson. Yeah. Uh, the second question is, what's something you just got to have with you on every shoot? Uh, it might be gear, it might not, whatever. It's just like something that like I, I got to take this with me on every every one I go on. My camera, my red, um, because even with I went. Even when I have a, a full scale crew, and my crew is great. I, I use two or three main crews; they're great, and they know my style now. Um, but sometimes I see moments um, because you know they're thinking about lighting and and you know really making things sing. But I'm there for the story, so a lot of times I will see moments that they don't see. Uh, what's what is the director that always has to have his camera and shoot? Regardless, they always make fun of me because I always have to have that camera there. So, and it has to be ready, ready to go. And so a lot of times, you know, I'll see things and I'll just grab it. So my camera. Yeah. I think that's fun though. I think that's something that you're right. That a lot of directors or producers, whoever they come in to do something, they would always just like, well, they're, they're taking care of that today. Um, but yeah, having something just whipping around and catching those, you know, a mom and son before an interview or something would probably be more valuable than the interviewer well, or you well, know, something you wouldn't see. Well, we, my, my main crew uh, shoots for the NFL films and they're fantastic at it. And so we were shooting the football game on the border. Uh, and then the, the mom who was in the cartel got out of prison and she was going to, she was coming to see her son play for the first time. And so while my guys, I've got, we've got people mic'd up. We're on a 50 to 1000. We've got cameras everywhere. I see her coming in and as opposed to tapping some, you know, my guy on the shoulder saying, Oh, this is who this is, blah, blah, blah. I grab my camera. I run. I I tell the audio got to give me a microphone. So I grab the microphone. I stop where, you know, she's in the stands. I put the microphone on her and I'm like, you know, what are your emotions right now? She starts crying. You know what I mean? Like, you know, what's it like seeing your son out there when you've been in prison for, you know, the things you've done. That's, now you're telling stories. Yeah. Dang. This is awesome. Uh, last one is it's kind of like a soapbox moment or something like that. We have a wide array of listeners, a lot of young people, a lot of people in careers, uh, in the career, or a lot of people in careers that want to get into this career. What's something that you wish they would take away from this or a lesson learned or something you'd like to say to them? Don't let your ego control your career because it'll steer you in the wrong directions. Don't, especially now today, I'm so glad I didn't grow up. Now I, I definitely sound old. I, I, the people seeking validity from strangers uh, on the internet uh, will give you a false sense of identity. Don't let, don't let vanity and ego give you a sense of, uh, of self-worth. Like make, you know, you got to find your self-worth within yourself. 
And then, you know, you got to do the work that, you, that you're happy with and not just some random person just because they like said team or whatever. And they tell you, you the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. We call uh, me and my one friend who I won't name, but we always kind of dump on people because like all of a sudden everyone's the goat now. Anyway, post anything. It's that's the goat. You're the goat. Uh, you're the goat. And we always just we we like, you know, talk about like it's the goat farm or something like that, because there's a million goats now, evidently. And everybody who posts a picture of someone famous, well, uh, that person might be the goat. But the person who took the picture is the goat. And Yeah, I have a hard time with that. And I know I don't have a thousand, you know, a million Instagram followers. I don't have I mean, I'm on Twitter, but I'm really on. I just use it for research. I, there's there's definitely people that are, are better than I am at it. And I think I do think it's a tool and, and I struggle with it because I try to post stuff. Um, but it's tough because I just feel I feel like I'm just promote promoting myself. But you have to. So it's a fine line of promoting yourself, especially if you're a freelancer. Yeah. Like you got to get people out there and you got to let people know the work that you're doing and why it matters. And so I understand that I'm not, I'll never say that that's a bad thing. Cause it's not, um, it's just, you can't let that give you an identity. Like you got to use social media as a tool and not, not giving you self validation. Yeah, no, I love it. I agree with that completely, man. Well, the only last question I have is how do people find you? Where are they going to find you on uh, the interwebs and reach out and see some of your work? Obviously they'll see it on ESPN, which is great. That's pretty simple, but uh, where else can they find you? Sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, most of the time uh, the, the Instagram there again, I don't have a million followers, but like I do, I'm, I am on there and people want to reach out. I love um, talking about the craft and, and if people ever want advice, I, I wish I had people, especially young people. I, you know, feel free to reach out. I don't care what you're working on. Like, uh, you know, feel free to reach out, but it's just, it's just a simple, uh, Jeremy Williams, uh, on Instagram or J will two, two, seven, five. And so again, it's not a ton on there. You can see some of the things, but I do keep up, uh, you know, whether I'm going to South Dakota and things like that. So if people have any questions, feel free to, I don't really use a, a website because I work for ESPN. And so if you see the work, you know, I can always send Vimeos and things like that if you want to see things, but I, I, I haven't created a, a site because there again, I work for ESPN. So we want people to go to ESPN.com. We want people to go ESPN plus we want, so I don't want to take away from that. So most of the time on E60, you know, they'll promote it pretty heavily. And then, you know, you know, I'll put it on my Instagram about when things are coming out. It'll obviously go on ESPN plus where things live. Uh, and then, like I said, I can always send Vimeos and things like that. So feel free to add me, ask as many questions that I want. And this is a big thing, guys. Just because I don't answer one time doesn't mean you know, Ben Hauser didn't probably didn't answer me for 10 times. You, you got to say persistent, but not not aggravating. And I know that's a thin line, but you just got like your hunger has got to be more important than you you know, you worrying about bothering someone. Phil, if I don't answer, I will answer. Just give me time and get back. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely hey, appreciate man. it. I definitely appreciate it. I love talking about it. I love the craft. Uh, I mean, I would do this stuff for free and have done it for free. So, you know, that's awesome. Sweet. All right, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to reciprocity podcast please take a moment to subscribe and rate us five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you found value in this podcast and want to learn even more, head over to patreon.com slash reciprocity podcast to support the show.